0: Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Stepping out is never easy. The predictable, the comfortable, the familiar, all gravity. Clenching, holding, restraining. But we are a different breed. We do not accept the status quo. Come, hell or high water, we will run boldly into the unknown. In search of purpose, promise, greatness, we are pioneers. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. What we're talking about This weekend, as we continue our series entitled Pioneers, we're talking about success in this message. And at the end of this message, I'm gonna give you the one thing, the one thing that if you begin to do more of, you will immediately begin to experience more success, the kind of success God desires you to experience in every area of your life. But before I give you that kind of knowledge and power I've got to take you down a path because before we can talk about success we really need to address one of the biggest things that gets in the way of us experiencing the kind of success God wants us to walk in we've got to talk about the fear of failure the title of this message is not afraid to fail not afraid to fail So let's jump in together on this journey of getting over our fear of failure. Here's the first thing we've got to do if we're going to get over this fear called failure. Point number one, we've got to get to the root of the problem. We have to get to the root of the problem. Why are we so afraid to fail? Have you ever spent any time thinking about this? If you struggle with the fear of failure, what, what really is at the root of this fear? I personally believe there are two things that are, are a huge part of the fear of failure. The first one I would call the perception of man. It sounds like this in the church world. It will look like I miss God. I'm afraid it will look like I miss God. That's just the churchy way of saying, it. I don't want to look bad. Okay, and what that's really addressing is the perception of man. And if perception is your goal, performance will become your God, and affirmation will become an idol. Now, perception, simply put, is this. It's the act of judging from afar with incomplete information. Now, some of you are looking up at me, instead of taking notes, And what I'd rather you do is have your head down taking notes, especially if you battle the fear of failure. I don't even care if we never lock eyes. The whole message, you just write and write and write. Because when God gives me a message like this, I know he's trying to say something to someone other than me. Not just to me, but to a bunch of people, all right? So if you don't have something to write with, steal a writing utensil out of the purse of the woman next to you if you have to, all right? Let me ask you two questions if you battle with the perception of man. Do you really care that much about the opinion of someone who has made the decision to judge and dare I say even criticize your every move and decision? Like do you really care that much? No, of course not. Well here's a second question. Do you really believe that you can have 100% of of an accurate judgment without having 100% of the whole story? No way. Well, then why are we so obsessed with what other people think? If someone is willing to judge your entire life by one single moment, The verdict they render says more about them than it says about you. And yet we build our lives around the opinions and the judgments of others who have limited information about what's actually going on. Now, this might not help everyone, but I personally have a philosophy for people like this. And and so if if this helps you, great. If you're one of the people that I actually have this philosophy towards, I hate to let get out of the bag. All right. But here's how I would say it. If you're willing to judge me from afar, only knowing part of the story, don't ever expect me to bring you close enough to tell you the rest of the story. And here's why. I've learned that people who are willing to judge you from afar with limited information, if you bring them close enough to get the whole story, it doesn't change what they see. And actually, They're not looking for facts. What they end up looking for is data to reaffirm their narrative. So why do we spend so much time being gripped with the perception of someone who has very limited information about what's going on in our lives? I learned this from the front row when I came out here to Scottsdale to plant this church. Six years ago, for the first two years, there were many, many, many people outside of this city who truly thought that what I was doing here was an absolute failure. They had limited information. In fact, there are still some people six years later outside of this city who think this is an utter failure. The only way to think that is not because their expectations are holding me up to A a, a huge church. It's because they have limited information. And here's what I learned going through that season that I think we all need to hold fast to. What man thinks can never become more important than what God says. We can't be obsessed with the perception of man. Here's the second thing I believe is at the root of the fear of failure. The disappointment of God. God I I don't want to disappoint you. I'm afraid to disappoint you. And the reason we say things like that is we really think that the number one way to disappoint God is mess up. I'm going to show you in scripture, I don't believe that to be true. And here's something that happens that's really dangerous when we believe that the number one thing we do to disappoint God is mess up. What happens when you believe that? When you mess up and you think you've disappointed him, you heap shame upon yourself. And what is our habit when we heap shame upon ourselves? We create distance between us and God. What's crazy is many of us actually believe when we mess up that the first words out of God's mouth are these. What did you do? Why did you do this? I'm gonna show you in scripture why that's not the case. But I personally think That instead of the first question coming out of God's mouth being, why did you do this? I think it sounds something more like this. I know. But what did you learn from this? Well, Preston, what makes you say that God's first question is not one of disappointment or anger, but it's one of support? I'll tell you why. Because good daddies want to grow you up, not beat you down. God's heart is not to beat you down. Let me show you in Genesis three. If you got your Bible, take a look here. We would all probably agree that this is the first epic failure of man, right? The first time sin enters the world through mankind. Adam and Eve sin, they do exactly what God says not to do. And let's take a look at the first words out of God's mouth right after they do. Genesis chapter three, verse eight. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man. Question number one, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Question number two, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Question number three, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Bus chuck number one by Adam, right there. If you ever wanna know where bus chucking started, it happened in Genesis chapter three, verse 12. Verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, question four, what have you done? Most accurately translated, why did you do this? Think about this for a moment. For those of us who believe the lie, that the first question out of God's mouth when we screw up is, what did you do? Why did you do this? We see right here. You could probably make the case this was the most epic failure of mankind. And the first words out of his mouth have nothing to do with the sin and everything to do with the separation between man and him we've got to understand that's the way our God is. He is more supportive when we fail and fall than we can wrap our minds around. You will continue to be a struggling failure until you deal with the root of your fear of failure. That leads us to the second point. If we're gonna get over our fear of failure, point number two, we've got to correct our perspective of failing. You're gonna have to correct your perspective Failing, how many of us want to experience more success in all we do? Let me just see a show of hands, okay? Just keep it up for a second, look around. If the person you're married to isn't raising their hand, I want you to punch them in the ribs right now, all right? Experiencing more success starts with having the proper perspective of failure. Most people think that failure is the opposite of success when failure is actually essential to success. Now, there are two ways that you can see failure, all right? You're either gonna see failure as a declaration or you're going to see failure as a teacher. If you see failure as a declaration, it will declare you a loser. But when you see failing as a teacher, it simply reminds you you're just a learner. You're not a loser. The sooner you can see failure as a teacher, the sooner you can start learning in the classroom of the most successful. Why? Because every person walking in the God given success he desires us to walk in has experienced incredible failures. Failure provides an education success will never, ever be able to procure. But here's the big question, if failure is a teacher, what does failing teach us? Let me give you a couple of things, and if if you're taking notes, way to go. If you're not, what's wrong with you? First thing, (laughs) failing teaches you. Failing teaches you that failing isn't that big of a deal. I know this sounds simple, but we need to be reminded, failing teaches us that it's just not that big of a deal. Jeremiah chapter eight, the word God gives Jeremiah here has nothing to do with this message or topic, all right? But what God says at the beginning of this word to Jeremiah is so perfectly suitable for our conversation here. It's so calibrating for our perspectives. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse four. He says, Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they just get up again? This is God talking. I'm pretty sure he's talking to me. When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they just turn back? This is really for those of us who convince ourselves that one mistake ruins the rest of our lives. I'm not gonna be able to step into my calling because that one mistake, it's over. Not gonna get to experience it, it's over. God says, Is it? I mean, when you fall, is it really that dramatic? Don't you just get back up? When you get on the wrong road, do you freak out and say, life is coming to an end? Or do you just get back on the right road? I love how simple God can be. And so stunningly wise at the exact same time. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Many believe the lie that the righteous never fall. This is ridiculous, because scripture actually says, no, no, no. It's just that the righteous are really good at getting up when they fall. If you've convinced yourself that you can't be godly and fall at the same time, and I'm not talking about willful sin, I'm just talking about tripping, messing up, getting something wrong. If you really think you can't be godly, be righteous and trip from time to time. You need to get that weight off of you. Scripture clearly says it's not that the righteous don't fall. It's that they're really good at getting up when they fall. Here's the next thing failing teaches you. Failing teaches you what real failure is. Many of us are completely believing a lie about what real failure is. Let me tell you what real failure is not, if we're gonna answer this question, what is real failure? Real failure is not when you make a mistake. That is not real failure. I'll show it to you in scripture. Real failure is when you willingly repeat your mistake. Now, this next verse that I'm gonna read is a little graphic, and I apologize, but remember, I didn't write this. I'm just reading it, all right? Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit. Anybody want to be put in that category? As a dog returns to its vomit. So a fool repeats his foolishness. Notice it does not say, so a fool falls. So a fool fails. No, no, no. Who is a fool? A fool is one who repeats his foolishness. Repeats his mistakes. Repeats her failings. That's what a fool really is and if you struggle with thinking that you're a failure because you made a mistake I want you to write this truth down it's simple but I believe it will be liberating for you if you battle in this area failing does not make you a failure it just makes you a learner not a loser here's the next thing failing teaches you This might surprise you. Failing teaches you that failing is great for your relationship with the Lord. Who would have thought failing is good for my relationship with God? Listen to what David says in Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail. I put some stock in that. I was really hoping they'd bail me out when I needed them, but I've learned they fail me too. Listen to what he learns as a result of that failing but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He learned this incredible lesson because his flesh and his heart failed. What is the wisest thing we can do when we fall, when we fail? Run as quickly as you can to the Father. Failing should not cause you to fall back on God. It should remind you to never ever stop leaning on God. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. Okay, some of you need to write this next truth down. And I wrote it from your perspective so that years from now, when you're going back through your notes about things God has spoken to you in important messages... I want you to read it from your perspective. This is not from mine, but from yours. Some of the sweetest moments in my walk with God are when I trip and he catches me. You know this to be true. Some of the sweetest moments in your relationship with God, in your walk with God, have come when you tripped and he caught you. When you realize just how well God catches you, you don't become a habitual tripper, all right? Paul said it like this. He said, when I got a revelation of grace, did it compel me to sin all the more? Of course not. In other words, he's saying, when I realized just how well God catches me, I didn't become a habitual tripper. I actually became a professional jumper. Let me explain. Let me illustrate this for you. I want you just to imagine... A daddy trying to teach his two-year-old child how to swim. And maybe you experience this very thing in this manner. What does the daddy do? Daddy takes the child to the edge of the pool, jumps into the water, backs up from the edge just far enough to where their hands fully extended can't touch. And what does he say to the child? Just jump. Jump to me. Come on, jump to me. You can do it, okay, jump to me. Jump to Daddy. And what is the two-year-old doing the entire time? No, Daddy, I can't. I don't know how to swim. I'm afraid. What if you don't catch me? I'm gonna sink to the bottom of the pool. There are sharks down there. (laughs) Daddy says, just jump to me. Daddy, I'm afraid. What if I can't do it? Jump to me. And what happens in that moment when you begin or begin to feel 100% faith and trust that daddy will catch you when you jump? How do you respond? You jump, right? You jump in. Why? Because you know, even if your head goes under the water for a moment, Daddy will not let you drown. Some of us need to have a lot more confidence in jumping, simply remembering that our God loves to catch us. He will not let us down. He will certainly not let us drown. If you're going to be successful, you're going to have to be better at failing. And if you're going to be a successful failure, you better see failing the right way. Failure is good for us. That leads to point number three. If we're going to get over this fear of failure, this might sound novel, but let's increase our odds of succeeding scripturally. And I put there on purpose, not strategically. Here's the problem. When someone starts thinking... Okay, I'm gonna try and attain more success. What is the, the tendency to become quite strategic? But I'm not talking about fame. I'm not talking about fortune. And none of that is bad. I am talking about real fruit. The kind of success in every area of life that God designed us to experience and desires us to experience. But here's a question I have for every single one of us. Do we actually believe God wants us to experience success in this life? Now you may rush to the answer and say yes, but I'm pretty sure not all of us believe that. Some of us think his divine desire is that we struggle forever. And listen, struggle is a part of life. I'm not, this is no rah, rah, self-help message. This is a calibrating message. If God didn't want you to know success in every area of your life, I am fairly certain he wouldn't have put so many different ways to experience success in every area of life found in his word. And I'm just going to show you just a few of the ways that the Bible says if we will just do these things, we will begin to experience real success. The the, the kind of success only God can give. Here's the first thing. If you want to experience more success, don't just jump. Don't just jump. I don't know where this came from. Who came up with this in the church world? But apparently there's this thought out there that real faith involves jumping out of the airplane with no parachute. Okay, let's address this right now. Okay, let's put this to bed. Real faith is not jumping out of an airplane with no parachute. That's real stupid. That's not real faith. God blesses preparation far more than he will ever bless impetuousness. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. But don't begin until you first count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Here's another way to say that. If you're going to go where God has created you to go and calling you to go before you go, Count the costs so you'll be prepared when it's time to pay the price of admission. Be prepared. Don't just jump. I'm going to quit my job. I got no savings and a mountain of debt. I'm going to start my own company. Don't know the slightest thing about starting a company, but God, I feel, told me to start a company. Are you listening? I'm jumping. Like, I got no parachute. I, in fact, my debt is like a, a weight rather than a parachute. <laughs> I believe you, you can do this. And he's going, yeah, I can, but you can't. <laughs> not because you're unable, but because you're not prepared. Yet we think we just have to prove we're willing to jump. That is not always The best way to show real faith. Preparing is how we show real faith. Here's the next thing scripture says we can do to experience more success in every area of life get counsel. Get counsel. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Really, black and white. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but oftentimes when we choose not to get godly counsel, there's really only one reason. And that's because we're reluctant to admit that we know what we're doing is wrong. But isn't it funny when you know what you're doing is right how quick you are to get counsel from everybody in the church lobby? Hey, I wanna run this by you. Tell me what you think. And what you really want is not counsel, you just want affirmation. You want an add a boy, add a girl. I'm talking about godly counsel when we need it most, when we're not sure what to do, when we're going somewhere we've never been. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Okay, many of us have heard this passage before. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Okay, here's the big question. What does a healthy multitude of counselor, counselors look like? I'll give you the answer a diversified portfolio of perspectives. If everyone you go to for counsel sees and says the same thing about your situation, that is not wisdom, that is wonky. And let me help you just understand this is just an example. Uh, This is not how I do it every time, but this is just an example of how I try and get a, a godly, diversified portfolio of counsel. When I'm running something by somebody, I'll go to somebody who gets it. I'll go to somebody who doesn't. For those of you I've gone to for counsel, you're going, which one am I? (laughs) I don't know. I go to somebody who gets it. I go to somebody who doesn't. I go to somebody who's done it. I'll go to somebody who's failed at it. I'll go to somebody who loves me. I'll go to somebody who hates me and sends me mean emails every other week hey, what do you think about this? I'm probably not gonna listen, but just tell me what your perspective is. (laughs) A diversified portfolio of godly perspectives. Scripture plainly says, if you want to experience God's kind of success, get godly counsel from a variety of godly sources. Here's the next thing on the list, submit your plans. You want to experience more success? Submit your plans to God. Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit your actions, the NLT says, really means commit everything you're doing, every single one of your plans to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Now, let's talk about this for a minute because there's a little bit of misunderstanding here, all right? Many people think that submitting their plan to God is the same thing as telling God their plan. Okay, this is not the same thing. When you tell God your plan, he's allowed to listen. But when you submit your plan to God, it allows him to be Lord. I go back to a moment in my life, freshman year of college, uh, over 20 years ago, and I boldly basically walked up to God, pointing at a girl I dated for a couple of years, and I said directly to the Lord, I am going to marry this girl. I did not ask him. I did not... I definitely did not submit it to him. I just flat out told him, I'm going to marry this girl. Looking back, I think he was chuckling. When someone who has very limited information and even less wisdom to go with it goes to the one who has all of the information and all of the wisdom to go with it. I think he was chuckling going, you have no idea what you're talking about. And the details don't matter, but suffice it to say, the girl never even broke up with me. She got engaged to another guy. I was talking to God about marriage. She was talking about marriage too, but with somebody else. And I wish that was the only time I took my plan to God. I'm so much worse. Two years later, I remember being in my room in our apartment with my roommate we're going to bed and he says to me would you ever date Holly Campbell And this is my response I would never even give Holly Campbell my phone number (laughs) 20 years later we've been married for 18 years and I am literally obsessed with the girl what should that teach you what does it remind me that it's never wise for the one with limited information and limited wisdom to take their plan to the one who has all of the information and all of the wisdom to go with it. It is wise to submit our plan to the Lord. Million dollar question, Preston, how do I know I'm submitting my plans to the Lord? Simple answer, because he's constantly changing them. You will know You are constantly submitting your plans to the Lord when God is constantly changing them. And you're great with it, because he knows what you don't. Here's the last thing on this list. If you wanna experience success, and this is a biggie, the kind of success only God can give, fruit. You're gonna have to agree on the outcome. You and God are going to have to agree on the outcome of your success. In order for God to bless you with real success, your dream of success must line up with his desire for what you do with it. There must be agreement. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's this thought out there, well, I'll give more when I get more. No, you won't. That's just a cop-out. That, yeah, that's an ultimatum to God. If you want me to give, just give me more. Conviction's falling right now. It's, it's entering in the room. Well, I'll serve others more when I experience more success and have a bigger platform. No, you won't. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. It does not say... Those who are abundantly blessed, bless others. Something else comes first, serving others, blessing others comes first. Then comes the abundant blessing. A real giver is not one who has more to give than others. A real giver is one who never stops giving to others. And that is the kind of person God can entrust his kind of success to. This is one of my favorite one-liners of the entire message. If the goal of your success involves more spending than serving, God will make sure your fame never lasts more than 15 minutes. It's the truth. My dream of success better line up with God's desire for what I do with it and listen, God only grants his kind of success to those who will use it for the benefit of others, to serve others, to bless others, to enrich the lives of others. They are the ones, those are the people, the Bible says, are abundantly blessed. Some of you know, we have three children and our middle child is named Tyler. I've told you before, Tyler is mini-me in so many ways. Uh, don't tell my other kids. It's why I kind of love him a little bit more than the rest of them. <laughs> Kidding, joking. Um, but Tyler, Tyler's been battling something for a couple of years, and it's the fear of failure. Uh, he, he was the one of our three children that always showed the most natural athleticism. Everything he does, he's just good at. But a couple years ago, we started to notice uh, he, he was pulling back and no longer trying new things and taking leaps of faith. And it became very obvious that the reason was he was utterly afraid to fail. And after getting to the bottom of it, I learned that really the root of his fear of failing was he was afraid to disappoint me. And so I've spent a couple of years really trying to help in this area, to show him support in ways I never have, to be an encouragement, to help him understand mistakes aren't a big deal, but nothing really has been working. Until yesterday, I was studying for this message and It's about 9.30, Tyler had spent the night at his best friend's house. It was his friend's birthday. And if you have children on this planet, odds are you've probably heard the word Fortnite before. Uh, I let Tyler take his television and his PS4 over to his friend's house so they could play next to each other. And yesterday morning, while I was studying, Holly gets a text and it's from Tyler. And he says, my PS4 is ruined. The dog knocked it over. It's making loud noises. It will never work again. (laughs) He tried and tried and tried to fix it to no avail. And I said, babe, you need to FaceTime him. Just make sure he's okay. Because this is like right now in this season, this is his favorite earthly possession. She FaceTimes him. Tyler can't even look at the phone. He's holding the phone like this, and she said, babe, are you okay? And he's trying to fight back the tears, and he goes, yes, ma'am. She said, do you want me to come get you? She goes and gets him, and I go to the gym. I just needed some time to process, because truthfully, my first thought was, bro, that's a $300 mistake. And I know you love this, and as your daddy, I don't want you to be without it. But 300 bucks, bro. Thankfully, I didn't stick around. I went to the gym, had my worship music on, and I got in my truck after my workout. And the second I got in my truck, I heard the God of the universe as clearly as I've ever heard anything say, son, I let this happen for you, not just Tyler. I'm gonna teach you something, not just Tyler. Because Preston, every time you mess up, this is what you look like to me. There are times you don't even look at me because you're so ashamed you messed up. And I'm gonna teach you something today. I'm gonna break something off of your son. He said, but when you get home, I want you to walk into the house. And I want you to go into the room where Tyler is. And all I want you to say at first it's gonna be okay. And I'll tell you what to say after that. So I walk in, I walk right up to Tyler. He's sitting on the floor. Of course, he won't look me in the eyes. I said, bro, it's gonna be okay. And he's trying not to cry. I said, what are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? He said, I'm mad. And he starts crying. I said, mad? I thought you'd be sad. He said, I am sad, but I'm mad. I said, why are you mad? He said, because if I don't get mad at myself, how will I ever learn not to do it again? And he's just sobbing. I said, buddy, I have made so many mistakes in my life that are so much bigger than this. Mistakes happen. And I felt the Lord just whisper what to do. And I said, buddy, will you do something for me? He's crying. He said, yes, sir. I said, will you go in the other room and grab a piece of paper and just do two things for me? Will you write out a list of everything you learn going through this? And then at the bottom of the page, would you just write one or two things that looking back, maybe you could have done a little bit differently that might have increased the odds of something like this not happening? Can you do that for me? And I know he's you know, drying up his tears. I know he's thinking, Daddy, this is stupid. Yes, sir, I'll do it for you. And he goes into the other room. And where do you think I went? I went to GameStop and I walk into GameStop and you can't strip this kind of thing. Only God does things like this. I walk into GameStop and who is at the register buying my son a PS4? The mom of his best friend and the best friend. And I walk up behind him and I said, I am not letting you do this. And she turns around, she knows it's me. And she's a little teary and she says, I feel so horrible. He was devastated, he was crying. I saw the dog, our dog is crazy, it's our fault. Just let me buy this. I said, I'm not letting you do this. She said, why? And I explained to her the last couple of years. And I said, let me ask you a question. 20 years from now, if this is what God uses to teach my son that mistakes happen, do you think I want you to be the one to get the credit for this investment? (laughs) I said, No way, over my dead body. This is about me and my son and our God. And I bought it. And I went home. I walked in the house and said, Hey, buddy, can you come in the other room with me? And I sat down at the table with him. He didn't see the PS4. I grabbed his list, it was four pages long. <laughs> and I read it out loud. And then I read what he would do differently. And I put the list down on the table and I reached behind the table and I grabbed the PS4 and I put it in his lap and and he's stunned at first. And then he stops trying to figure it out and he loses it. And he was sitting in front of me in the chair and he buries his head in my lap. And I didn't know what to do. I just bent down and put my lips on the side of his face and I said, bro, it's gonna be okay. And he goes, Daddy, why did you do this? And I said, bro, this is what daddies do. This is what we do. Someone else might be able to right a wrong, but daddies were designed to make it better. Listen, this is not a story about me being a hero. I didn't buy my son that PS4 because I'm a rich dad or because he's a spoiled son. I bought it because that's what daddies do. And the Bible says, if that's how an imperfect man treats his son when he messes up. Can you imagine how much better your heavenly father treats you when you trip and fall? Listen, yesterday at 9.29, I did not have a closing illustration for this message. Only God can ring your bell like that. to the best of my ability i've tried to take you down this path to help you get over your fear of failure and with everything in me i pray that you're there or really close and if you're there it leaves only one thing left for us to do and it's point number four and it's the most important part of the message hear me point number four now go fail Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.